Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. Welcome to the first F1 episode of 2021. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt joins me. Matt, first off, how are you? How was your new year? It was good. Didn't do a whole lot, obviously, given the state of the world. And Minnesota is a little stricter right now than most places in America, but uh, we still managed to make it work and you know had some fun. So um, the Bears suck. <laughs> Nothing surprising there. It must be nice not to have a head coach and start fresh. Yeah, you know, football... It, I'm I'm sad the Bears lost. I, I was rooting for the Bears and the Colts to do well because we all know what's going on with my Eagles. Now they don't even have a coach, so I don't know. I guess I, I guess we'll save that grief for for another day here. But similar to IndyCar, we are on schedule. I don't know. I think we're on schedule like four already for for F1. At least that's what we're going to call it. So a quick recap for those who missed it australia has been postponed to november china is postponed until we don't know when so the may 2nd slot third race of the schedule is now to be determined and imola returns again the second race of the season in april 18th so on april 18th so with that being said matt what are your thoughts on the current rearrangement of the schedule? Do you think we might see something like Bordemau instead of China in that third slot on the on the calendar? We can hope so. Um, China's all right. It's a it's an okay track. It's kind of just a your your general tilt track of technically cool, but as far as watching a race or driving it, it's, it's pretty meh. Uh, Bordemau seems a lot funner. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're as we kind of touched on the IndyCar episode this week. You know, this is going to be Schedule Four of probably twelve this year. We've got a lot more changes here to come, I think. But I do appreciate uh, Stefano Domenichelli coming out today and basically said we took a lot of good lessons from 2020, and one of those is flexibility with the schedule and making it work so that we can put on the best show and and you know, fulfill our commercial obligations to the sponsors. So I appreciate that sentiment. I think a lot of good lessons can be taken from 2020. And I hope F1 understands that we as fans, you know, get it. Uh, we understand that if the schedule has to change 14 times, it's it's understandable. And we'll just, you know, I, at least I'm just thankful to get to watch it because it was a fun distraction last year. And unlike IndyCar, we don't really have to worry about changing travel plans because there's probably a good chance we won't be allowed to travel to any of these places most of the year, I would imagine. So we'll move on just real quick. Wanted to coo- to congratulate Lewis Hamilton on being knighted. He is now Sir Lewis Hamilton. It's a very well-deserved honor. Yes. Uh, I got to remember that Sir Lewis on the episodes from now on. Can I be Sir host? Uh, no, actually, according to, I want to say the constitution, American citizens are not allowed to have titles of nobility. Is host a nobility title or not really? Host can be. Yeah. I mean, you can be called a host. You just can't be called sir host. Okay. Okay. Fair. All right. I I can live with that. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Oh, speaking of schedule, uh, I saw this one pop up this week about the Brazilian Grand Prix, which just got confirmed for Interlagos for five more years. 
happy days, celebrations, blah, blah, blah. Well, now a judge has blocked the license of the promoter for this new race. Well, new deal, I guess, per se. It's still same track. Citing the fact that there's a lot of, we'll say, ambiguity with some of the paperwork. And there's some shadiness going on, maybe, because the judge is just trying to make sure that public funds aren't being used excessively to secure this race and whatnot so i this is just a judge blocking it so far now obviously there's a chance for the defense to counter and prove evidence and whatnot so uh, are you at all concerned about this latest happenings for the brazilian grand prix yeah it's (laughs) anytime you start talking about government corruption and we lost the Vietnam race really before it even started because of, you know, their mayor went to jail for, I don't even remember at this point. And now we're seeing some sort of concern from a judge in Brazil. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, panicking yet, but it's something I, I think I'll be watching closely to see what foreign media is saying over the next couple of weeks. I, I don't really know how to, get a grasp on it because i don't know the legalities of the contract but it's not good when i don't know after a couple of weeks somebody's already like "Woo, let's hold on there yeah i wish i wouldn't i wish i knew the kind of like political happenings behind all these because you know there's been some uh and this isn't just a brazil thing there's just been some shady deals going around kind of last two decades or so in formula one obviously another one's like vietnam like you said saudi arabia Azerbaijan, who has only had, as a country, has only had bad press the last two years. It's uh, it's interesting to see what's going to happen here. I hope it uh, either A, I hope it all works itself out, or B, a new promoter can be found just so uh, they can keep racing at Interlagos. Did I miss you mention Imola? Did we touch on that? I did mention it, yeah. Okay. You, you said you wanted uh, Yeah, I did. Okay. Imola's back, so that's good. I wanted to throw in there the fact that, that I'm so hyped it's going to be in the next Formula One game now because it's going to be a part of the official schedule. Or at least I hope EA yeah. slash Codemaster slash whoever, I hope they have enough time to, to you know get that into the game because, well, I mean, the game comes out in six, seven months, so that should be plenty of time. But the fact that Imola, and I hope whatever this other race is going to be announced because there's another slot to fill, I think, in exactly. April. Yeah. Um, sometime soon in the season. Um, and then there's also Saudi Arabia. So there's going to be th- at least potentially three new races on the next F1 game, which is going to be sick. And they're taking off Vietnam. Ooh, what a, that's a nice trade. <laughs> I'm on a timeout from the F1 game until our next race because the physics in that game caused me immense pain last night. I don't, I don't honestly even want to talk about it. Oh, no, well, you can't just like bring it up and then not. So it rained, and I tapped the wall like pretty pretty soft. I actually asked show listener and uh, you know works in IndyCar, Chris Fambro. I said, "Hey, uh, he was watching my Twitch stream." I said, "Did I did I mess up?" Because you know sometimes like you mess up and you you don't you don't want to admit you were wrong. And he was like, "No, the game did you dirty there." So I'm very annoyed because I was comfortably in the battle for probably second place. And instead I watched the last eight laps of the race. Yeah. Well, two things. First, 
I think Fambro is just a super nice guy and maybe he's just letting you down easy. You're a jerk. <laughs> Second, did you happen to see that I won my race last night? Yeah, congrats. I did. Oh, I, I, I was so annoyed. I avoided the F1 Xbox group chat last night just because I didn't even want to think about video games. So oh, that's fair. Well, apparently I, I don't do a good enough job of giving shout outs anymore. So I just want to give a shout out to Cody for not wrecking me last night and for uh, generally making idiotic statements in our group all the time. It's really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I like Cody. All right. So <laughs> we'll, that's all I got there. <laughs> no, actually, do you wonder if uh, our boy Cyril got his Alpine tattoo before he got shown the door recently? You know, I spent about five minutes going through YouTube videos today to try to figure out how to sell or say his last name. So ready? Cyril Ebudibal. <laughs> I think is what we got to. Ebudibal. I if I'm I could be saying that wrong. I mean, the problem with some of the videos online is that you know you get like a, a English guy who's doing a video, and then you get you know, a French female doing one. And it's just like, based on the accents, they kind of all say it a little differently. So it's kind of just figuring out how me as a American with my, one would say ridiculous accent says it. And I think I settled on a Buddha ball, but I could be wrong. But yes, I don't know if we're going to get to see that tattoo. I wonder if he has the tattoo because uh, for those who missed it, Cyril is out of the whole Renault Alpine operation. So he will not be there in 2021, uh, not even behind the scenes as well. So a big change there. Uh, two questions. One, yay or nay? Two, uh, what do you think of Cyril's tenure since Renault reemerged into Formula One uh, 2016? So I think he had the team headed in the right direction. I wouldn't say they were, you know, the class of the the middle pack let's say but i think especially in the last year and a half they they had some pretty big reliability issues the first half of ricardo's first year i, I think think if i'm remembering remembering correctly but i think he got the ship right and things seem to be going in the right direction so it's it's hard to call it a success because i don't think they won a race and they had one podium so it's i don't I don't know if that's a huge success, but he got the the ship steering in the right direction at least. So I think you know he'll he'll be able to find a job in the future for sure in, in racing if he wants. Yeah, I think his crowning achievement was sticking it to Christian Horner, uh, <laughs> even though Horner ended up getting the last laugh with you know better team results and whatnot. Yeah, I agree. I think they were on the right path. It's just, and unfortunately, it took too long to get there. And I know yeah. Reno is, is using a lot of resources to try to get this team to where it, they want it to be. And so the fact that it's been not progressing as quickly as they like is probably a source of frustration. And who knows? There's a lot of probably more, you know, businesses decisions behind the scenes as well with it. And the guy they promoted, whose name escapes me, is someone who they uh, really look up to and think they're they're on the right path. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things changing with Alpine next year. Now, I want to get your take on this because I ranted about it in the IndyCar episode, obviously. So Nikita Mazepin, who we don't like for... Can, can we just call, like, for the rest of the year? Or actually for the rest of the year? He who shall not be named. Can we, can we just call him Haas Driver 2? All right, everybody. Haas is second driver, who Mike and I don't like. 
recently came out this week and said something along the lines of he and Mick Schumacher, his teammate, are not friends and, quote, he's going to be under more pressure given his last name, but he's also going to get more benefits because of his last name. So what do you think of Haas's second driver there in his statement about Mick? I, I get it. Listen, you don't have to be friends with the guy you're, you're, you're teammates with. It's, it's, you know, it's competition and, and you're trying to win. I don't really have an issue with the statement as it is. Mick under more pressure. I think they're both under incredible pressure for very different reasons. Mick, because his last name is Schumacher. Will he get the benefit of the doubt? Sure. But you know, the leash isn't going to be super long. Hoss driver number two because of, well, everything we've mentioned probably for the last six months and just look at his career. So I don't need to go there. If, if he makes one small mistake, Haas will probably just go, it's okay. And, uh, you know, keep it on the team still, but he will have a very close eye by every member of the media and F1 fans. So I don't really disagree with the statement as a whole. I just think both are under immense pressure for for very different reasons. Yeah, as I said on the IndyCar side, it's I think fans nowadays kind of expect a Lando signs type of relationship at every team, and that's just unfortunately not how Formula One is designed to be. So I don't like Haas number two driver, but I think in this statement I can kind of see where he's coming from, and I can kind of agree with him just a tad bit. I also want to kind of not obviously – putting you on the spot just kind of a general statement here kind of want to know how pay drivers work so like do they just give an upfront check at the start of the season from haas pay driver number two's daddy and if he goes out there and totals seven chassis on the year does insert daddy have to keep paying for those or is it just like they just pay once at the beginning of the season and all's good i mean i think it depends on the contract but and you know, I don't, I don't know how F one contracts are structured, but I know in IndyCar, let's say, let's just say the F one budget for driver two is ten million. Let's keep the number simple because I don't feel like doing math. That includes, you know, a little bit of wiggle room for crash damage. So if he crashes three tubs, that's included in the first ten million dollars. Great. Now, if he starts getting up towards the wire there, and he's you know, they're they're running out of his ten million dollars. Yeah, he he, they'd say, hey daddy, uh, hey hey daddy, driver number two, that your son sucks. Uh, pay more money, or we're gonna find another driver with money. So, I'm gonna simplify it and say, if it's like IndyCar, that's how it works. But I'm not a hundred percent sure on the F1 side. But I know it's kind of like that. There's there's crash budget built in. You know, every year, even guys who just do the Indy 500, there is a crash budget built in if they crash in practice or qualifying before the race. But if they go over that budget, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess and say that there has to be more money coming then. Yeah, because obviously never wish injury upon anybody. I'm more of just looking at the, the kind of the circumstances here of A, he's a rookie. Every rookie is going to crash at least two or three times on the season at a minimum. Uh, and then be looking at Haas number two driver's history and F2, F3, etc. More aggressive than the average driver will say, which is going to probably increase the crash damage from incidents and whatnot. So I'm just wondering if Haas is just counting down the time for him to, you know, crack three tubs and then just dump them or, or what, I guess, 
somebody out there is probably wanting that to happen again. I don't want to see him hurt, obviously, but yeah, uh, I do have to wonder how much crash damage he's going to rack up just given his his record over time. Oh, I can't wait to see. So let's see here. We've got a couple more things to run through before we're out of time. Real quick, Alex Albon, in addition to being the reserve driver at Red Bull or test driver, whatever he is, is also going to be racing in DTM. I feel kind of bad for him because DTM is like the one racing series right now that it's like definitely nothing exciting is going on there. They're losing manufacturers. They're losing car count. I don't even know if there was a DTM in 2020. And it just seems like when you go to DTM and you've already been racing somewhere, you're pretty much forgotten about. Yeah, I think the only one that I could think of the last couple of years is Wickens. But he kind of made his career. I mean, he went up from, he got to like F1 test role and then settled on DTM. And then, yeah, got the attention of Sam Schmidt. I'm thinking of another like Timo Glock kind of went there after Formula One and we've never heard from him again, basically. As long as he can cling to that Red Bull reserve role, he'll probably be somewhat relevant in the F1 paddock. But yes, I, I unfortunately agree that this could be, uh, I wouldn't say the end, but it's he's going to need to dazzle for sure, or attract some sort of major German sponsor or something to get back. And I think you're right. I think DTM is honest. I think they're down to one manufacturer which is sad because you think about all the good germ. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily manufacturers there are like they should be thriving like porsche v-dub uh bmw merc i think the big difference especially like let's just go back a couple years and when robbie wickens was in dtm dtm was at least somewhat thriving now dtm is not thriving so it's just it's slightly like kind of like a different atmosphere to to the whole dtm world but Speaking of German teams, Daimler, the chief CEO of Daimler is ready 
he says he's ready to move to George Russell because the Lewis Hamilton talks have stalled. Now, we have roughly from today about 90-ish days until the F1 season starts. Is there any reason why this is actually news, or is it just a slow news thing that somebody had to write about? Uh, Probably that. And I think what could be going on here is a negotiation tactic of trying to strong arm Sir Lewis Hamilton in the media (laughs) by just saying, you know, hey, we're ready to move on and and give the seat to George, make him sweat a little. But I doubt Sir Lewis Hamilton is sweating at all. I think, uh, you know, he's kind of, I mean, he does. I mean, at this point, I, I could look up how much money he's made in his career. He probably doesn't need the money. I mean, yeah, even once he signs a contract, it'll probably end up being like fifty million for a season. But even if it was like twenty five, I don't think it's coming out of the money. I think they're, you know, working out probably the longevity of it. And as Lewis said, kind of his view on maybe some social initiatives that he can work into his contract somehow. So I bet there's a lot of I's and T's to dot and cross, but. As much as I'd love to see George in that seat, I don't think anybody other than Sir Lewis Hamilton is going to be racing in that seat next year. I'm going to have to save that to the soundboard for future episode use. I'm just making sure I get it right. Yeah, I get it. I'm not going to try that. But <laughs> I appreciate the the effort. Yeah, I don't think it's going to, anything's going to change. Maybe a year from now, and the other... When Mercedes driver number two is <laughs> oh, don't say Mandelpin. No, that's does that mean it's gonna be a Haas driver number two? Is that what you're implying oh, yeah. here? Oh uh, no, fair point. It, when Botas is hopefully not retained by Mercedes. <laughs> got it. Uh, so let's see here. We've got one, one or two more things. A slight change to kind of the Friday sessions for all F1 practices going forward. They were reduced to sixty minutes. Instead of 90 minutes, which I think both practices were 90 minutes on Friday, and then Saturday morning practice dropped to 60 minutes. Is an hour less of practice really that big of a deal for the most part? No, I think it's, I mean, I think it's too long. I think NASCAR proved with a really kind of fun model that, you know, sometimes practice isn't even necessary. And I'm not saying outlaw practice, but I wouldn't mind seeing more of like the one day shows where it's like, do all the stuff on Saturday and race on Sunday. But I think this is a good start. I think, yeah, other than maybe the rookies, I think, you know, 90 minutes is, is a little too much. So it's even nice, just it's nice to see them exploring. Yeah, sorry. Even if it was, let's just say, one practice on Friday for, let's split the difference and say an hour and 15 minutes, and then an hour practice Saturday before qualifying. That way there's actually less track time. Or you give the rookies a dedicated time slot to run at the beginning of practice, like IndyCar did on the on the ovals this year for rookies and guys who hadn't run the ovals before. So something like that, I think, would be a, a good compromise going forward. But we have seen F1 willing to make changes in the last year, so I I don't think we can complain about it. They're definitely trying things, which I I definitely appreciate. Yes. All right. Last headline we have to go through before you can open it up for opinions, or you can try to do a ad lib stump Matt trivia. If you'd like speaking of things that we're not going or things, things that are going to be experimented with 
Uh, one of the crazy last 2020 headlines of all time last year that we haven't had the chance to touch on yet because we haven't recorded since this came out was that, you know, obviously the chassis and re- technical reg- regulations for Formula One are changing ahead of next season, 2022. Uh, so we have that to look forward to. And as we've discussed several times on the show, uh, engine regulations are set to follow in 2026, so still a ways away. Well, obviously Red Bull is going to need a new engine supplier in 2022, but the team is tossing around the idea of becoming a full works operation in 2026, meaning they'll produce a car, obviously, and the engines will be made by Red Bull. Red Bull would obviously also supply those engines to AlphaTauri. No indication yet, if this does happen, that they would be willing to sell it to customer teams as well. I don't know where you want to start with that one. So the really bad joke that we're probably going to see a million times, and I'll bite the bullet and make it first, is will this engine give them wings? (laughs) We're going to see that meme a million times if this happens. I don't know. I, it's cool. I'm sure they're probably trying to work with Honda to get the intellectual property behind the Honda engines, at least so that they can take a couple of years and, and build it, build things out how they want for the for the new regulations. And for a couple of years, maybe manage to be a customer of whoever and build things out on their own. I don't know how that'll work, but I think it's I think it's good news. I think it's good for the health of f1 if if red bull is a a full-on works team i i just i want to be the guy who determines like not just the racing operation all of red bull's budget for the year and what they spend their money on i just don't get it how does building an engine help enhance the image of red bull as i mean unless they produce like the greatest engine of all time and it instantly makes the f1 team unbeatable which is obviously good for their marketing then that's good but like what does a Formula One engine have to do with selling an energy drink? I guess I'm just really lost on how those two are connected. But hey, if if they if they if they do it, all power to them because I think that'd be awesome. I think works teams in Formula One are epic, and I wish we had more of them. And it would be fascinating. I think it would kind of because Red Bull since like. You know, Vettel came in. You know, Vettel won his first title with Red Bull. They became relevant in 2009 with their success, and then Vettel won in 2010. And I think people liked that, and they also loved the charm they brought into Formula 1 when they entered in 2005 with some of the quirky things they do at the track. And they were, you know, the leaders in hospitality and things like that. And they, they kind of set a new standard for how things should be done off the track. But then they just became kind of annoying with winning everything, some of their antics, threatening to quit, et cetera, et cetera. And I think them kind of proposing this idea of becoming a works team might get some, I think Verstappen's also helped recently, but I think their popularity can grow too if they become a full-fledged works team and they're not, you know, having it out with their engine manufacturer every year or things like that. So, yeah, I think that be, at the end of the day, I, I love it. I think it's a great idea. I just get a little puzzled when I, saw it i'm like wow how does this make sense in the long run it's i would imagine and i'm just guessing here maybe somebody with a marketing background can explain it to us better but you know maybe it helps their image and marketing and then they can 
power all the Red Bull delivery trucks on Formula One engines or technology or something crazy like that. Anyway, I don't know. Give us your best thought on that one in the on Twitter or whatever, wherever social media you're checking this out. All right, I have one trivia question as we're just about out of time here. I know you're not going to get his name. The oldest F1 driver, to the only F1 driver to win a race after he turned 50 years old occurred in what decade? And and better yet, what country did he win in? It, it's it's a country that hosts a current F1 race, and it it was a decade not recently <laughs> i'll say the 60s the 1950s all right well, i was close 1951 france or england france the 1951 french grand prix was won by 53 year old luigi fagioli i know you weren't going to get that name and if you were i would have been insanely impressed real quick since we're on the topic of trivia we will do an f1 trivia episode in the nearest future and the easiest question, the fewest races before the first win, not uh, about six of the top 10 answers are the Indy 500 in the 1950s to 1960s. <laughs> you could pretty much, if you know who won the 500 in that decade, you could pretty much have like a 45, 55% chance of getting the answer right if I'm looking at the screen here. All right. Let's, well, I got a preview too. I got to do one for you now. I'll make, okay. I'll make mine a little easier. Name the four teams that Michael Schumacher drove for in Formula One. Benetton, Ferrari, Mercedes, Jordan. Yep. Awesome. Well done. Nailed it. Well, let's end the episode on a positive note. Guys, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. More news. See what's going on in the F1 world. And we will be back to talk to you then. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.